Did it just tell you we're recording? Yes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tech and Soul, Navigating Digital Dimensions with Lindy Johnson and Tamika Key. I am Tamika Key. I am Lindy Johnson. What's up? Yeah. Welcome to our first episode. We're very excited. Lynn and I have worked together for many years on and off officially, but not officially as well. And we've been talking about talking about all the things that that we bring to the table and all the things that um, the different lenses that we bring to these various topics that we like to talk about. And so, yeah, um, this is the first episode. This pro the, is probably going to change, probably going to evolve over time. But thank you for joining us. And hopefully it's a good listen for you. Um, so, yeah, navigating digital dimensions. That's our subtitle. It's long. It's esoteric. Um, but we chose that because we are multidimensional beings, but also because there's so many different dimensions that you could look at any topic from, particularly in digital media and marketing. Um, and I think the the four lenses that we've chosen are one as creatives, right? Creatives. Um, I'm a writer by by trade, by nature, by heart. I write in my journal every day. Lynn, as a creative, how would you define yourself? <laughs> I am multifaceted, like you explained earlier. For me, it is, you know, I've been a DJ. I've been a spoken word artist. I've, re you know, I've recorded on a couple of tracks in the in the 90s. Never <laughs> dating myself here. Um, but, you know, also a writer, primarily as a writer. And I also see, you know, I was a coder, a computer science geek at one point. And I also saw creativity mm -hmm. in that, you mm -hmm. know, like when you look at, code on a page like it's like an art to it and you can put your little yeah you can put your little signature on there so you know yes multifaceted artist it's funny like I I I don't know if anybody knows known but now people will know it because I'm saying it but like I want to be a DJ for myself like I definitely I don't want to DJ at like shows but I definitely want to like I would love my own well I mean do, we're doing a podcast but I would love my own like um what do you call it? Uh, uh, like radio show. But anyway, so there's creators. You know, I mean, this is your this is your radio show. This there, you radio show. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I mean, if I could mix some songs into this, it's a whole other. Yeah, that would but be so fire. there is there is the dimension of sort of creators and and sort of who we are as creators. There's also the lens that probably most of the people will know about that are tuning into this is us from advertising and publishing. Um, Lynn and I work together at AdMonsters, um, which is, you know, a company that's dedicated to the publisher community. I have spent most of my career in ad tech, primarily on the SSP side. So publishers are near and dear to my heart, but I'm also an advertising nerd. My day job is SIM, um, a division of the ARF. And so we bring that, that particular lens to every conversation, I think. Um, right. With, yeah. Yep. With my background at ARF doing social and digital, right. And digital strategists at agencies. So that's, yeah, that's the other lens we both definitely have in common. Also, I think we go back as far as your media bistro days. When I spoke at a couple of events, I think that's how far back we <laughs> super deep in the archives actually <laughs> um yeah wow that was yes the social times pro um actually i always joke about it and people are like oh my god virtual currency i'm like you guys know i wrote a research report about virtual currency back in 2010 but just you know just no big deal um and then i think the other lens that is 
obvious if you're watching this, but if you, and maybe, I don't know if you can hear from my voice, black women. And that is a lens that's actually probably the first lens <laughs> that I've that that comes through in anything. But um, I think that there are different ways we can talk about things from the lens of, of being black women, particularly as it pertains to tech. Um, and then the, the fourth lens is entrepreneurs, business people. And I think that's a little bit different than the publisher advertiser lens, because, you know, wanting to grow a business or wanting to, to sort of run a company with these ideas in mind, I think is a little bit different than a publisher advertiser lens, but who knows that might, that might collapse. But anyway, enough preamble. Welcome to the first episode of Tech and Soul, Navigating Digital Dimensions. This episode is called AI versus Everybody. Lynn, why'd you pick that title? Uh, so as much as I know AI is doing good for all of us, like we all talk about how AI is good for efficiency, productivity, all of these things. And, and, and it is good in that way. You know, it cuts down the amount of time you need to do a specific task, right? But it's also kind of AI versus everybody because people are afraid they're going to lose their jobs. People are... um they're just scared, like, you know, when, when we get to the ad tech system, they're, the ad tech ecosystem, they're afraid, like, there's going to be more fraud. They're afraid, you know, all these, there's a lot of things mm. that, Interesting. you know, and I'll wait until we'll dig into that lens. No, why don't we just dig into it right now? Let's go. <laughs> go ad tech first. I mean, there's no rule for how we how we come to this conversation, but let's let's dive right into it. You just did an event last week, right, on the Pub Forum. Did AI come up? And like, was there a session on stage? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, AI came up two times. Uh, two times at Publisher Forum, it came up back at our ops in the summer as well. Um, like two times, two times on stage, but it, it just ran through. But I would say, um, oh, three times on stage. AI, AI has been coming up for us in different ways. So it's come up in the way of generative AI first, right? Mm -hmm. um, because generative AI is like all the rage right now. And it's putting a focus on AI when I feel like in the ad tech ecosystem, people have been talking about AI and LLMs, language learning models, right? Large language, For large language. Learning, large language models with learning language. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a while, they've been talking about those things because those things as pertains to targeting, right? And yeah. as, right? And as pertains to AI and automation that people have been using things for. But now as generative AI has become a bigger fo focus, a lot of ad tech companies are trying to figure out how to use AI. But uh, I'll give you an example about the, the negative side of it that we're hearing about. It's like, there's going to be more fraud, right? Potentially. Potentially I mean, AI is gaming. The, there's always I more mean, fraud. Like, <laughs> MFA sites have existed for a really long time without, without AI needing to create them. So, I mean, if everybody's concerned about fraud in the ad tech ecosystem, AI is not the thing that is going to create more of it. I mean, I think, I, I also think we have to take one step back because I actually... If we're going to talk, if we're talking about sort of algorithms and large large language models and sort of and just sort of decisioning, 
ad tech has had AI sort of inherent in it for you. Is that not what automation is? Is that not what RTB what programmatic? is? Is that, is that not RTB? what RTB is, right? Allowing mm -hmm. a machine to make some decisions about getting inventory at the cheapest way possible, or rather, yes, getting an impression at the cheapest rate possible that is to, supposed to target a user. So the elements of AI have been in ad tech for years. And admittedly, People were concerned about programmatic taking their jobs years ago. People were concerned about programmatic and fraud. And so it's interesting to see how that has kind of, uh, to see how that's evolved. But I think I interrupted you because I couldn't, uh, the fraud thing, I was just like, Ugh. And but but that's what we're doing. We're doing conversation, you know. Yeah. I mean, and it did, it did come up with an ad tech vendor who specializes in fraud, I would say protection um, or make or creating fraud. <laughs> uh, no, 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 fraud detection. Right, oh. finding finding the bad actors and oh, helping. with it. Um, with I mean, there's I'm, not saying who. I'm not saying who. Okay. right now, but they came up. You know, uh, people will know who were at the conference. They came up on stage and they they talked about AI plus ad tech equals question mark, right? Because they talked about. Um, fraud going up because of AI, right? How bad actors were using AI to like replicate. Oh, to replicate at, and game the system and sort of yes. multiple times. Okay, that, that makes sense, right? To sort of make these solutions or systems that are designed to sort of to get ads to run on sites more quickly or faster and to sort of use AI to kind of keep pitting, almost like you could use AI to sort of um, to break into someone's password or something like that, right? Like you need to use the system to do that. Okay, that, that's yeah. interesting. I I attended a webinar today, actually hosted by the MSI, the Marketing Service Institute and uh, Marketing Science Institute, and this guy David Schweidel. I think he's he's an instructor at um, business school. I will find out the name of him. Um, but he gave a couple of examples of, so MSI is a division of the ARF, which is focused specifically on kind of research around marketing. And so they, it's not just, they don't just say things about marketing. They actually sort of do experiments and sort of test them and sort of to, to come up with sort of definitive best practices and, and, and research to actually make the the business and practice of advertising better. Anyway, he gave a couple of examples that kind of blew my mind. And they were testing, um, they they came, they were using generative AI for text, specifically chat GPT for SEO. And they did a couple of comparisons and they used it to sort of create website content. The AI plus human version of content creation performed better than the human content alone, as well as the AI content alone. So it was a combination of AI curate, AI sort of like you feed into the large language model, you feed into, you feed the information that you want into chat GPT, for example, and then you refine it. But the content that performed best from an SEO standpoint. And I think the performance was, did it get ranked on the first page? Did it get ranked within the first like two or three pages? The content that performed best every time was the combination of AI plus human content. Better than human alone, 
far better than AI alone. So that was one interesting thing. And they actually studied how long it was going to take for, you know, you and I come from a content creation background. Performed better in what way? Like In terms of the getting the page ranked, in terms of getting the page ranked higher on Google. But an, yeah, that's from an SEO perspective. SEO perspective. Well, but, but what I, about from an engagement perspective, you know, they, right? They studied one specific thing, but I think the point was to, to prove, hey, we take a human gender, we take the work that you and I co are coming from a content background. I've done SEO research for new website launches. You know how much time it takes you to do that. So what he found was instead of having the humans do the SEO research, you have the bot do the SEO research, and then you have the human create the site based on the research, and that, that site performs better. But he was saying it sort of what it had, what it did was it reduced the amount of human effort that it took by eighty to ninety percent. So that's okay. So so that's back to my like efficiency productivity SEO. angle, right? Go to SEM. They were able to use AI to create custom landing pages. Okay. Uh, and instead of, and they were able to use these custom landing pages to buy lower ranking keywords and actually have them perform better than higher ranking keywords, saving them money. So the two conclusions of those two, the SEO and the SEM was, he basically was like, we'll see digital agencies use this technology to to take on more projects than they could take on before. Not that yeah. they would reduce staff, For sure. but they would just take on more work. And I thought that For was sure. the one last kind of piece of research that I thought was super interesting was, so that was, that was text. Then they used images. They wanted to see if they could create, if they could lower the cost of creating commercials. So they, they took a couple of, they basically used stock, footage from mm -hmm. a car maker to create a display, like a video ad campaign, not a glossy TV ad, but like a, a, a you know, a video ad that would run on a desktop. They had three, they had the ads from an agency. They had the ads from, um, from the brand itself, like some basic stock ads. And then they had ads that they used AI to create. The AI generated ads performed better at brand perception than the company's own ads or the agency created ads performed better at driving in interest as well as purchase intent. And so the thing that he said was, you know, it was just it was just really interesting to find some concrete evidence that showed that AI plus human creates better results in advertising. That 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 makes sense. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, and um, some agencies, right, like WPP for one, uh, a couple of others working in partnership with Microsoft. Um, I forgot who. Lord. I mean, no, uh, Bing, Google is. Oh Bing. no, but Microsoft, because you know Microsoft is integrating generative AI into different things, right? So I know a lot of the agencies are testing now creative, right? Uh, building creative using generative AI. And, th and the same thing that you're saying, right? Like it cuts cuts down the time so they can do more. Um, they can have more examples in a quick, uh, short amount of time. And I, th I think 
I think there's always going to be human effort involved, although there are futurists out there. Yeah, you're a futurist, aren't you? There are futurists out there who are saying that five years from now, so many jobs will be eliminated. But I think, I, I th okay, AI is going to learn a lot from what the data we are feeding it now, what we are teaching it, what we are creating. But there will still always take the human element because there are places where AI goes wrong. You know, there are places where AI has bias. There are places where AI has hallucinations. There are places where well, there's, yes, I, I, I agree. And one of the things that, you know, that he'd said was, you know, the existing, the tools that exist now were not made for marketers, right? right. Like you have to adapt these tools to create to the context that you need them for, which I think is an awesome segue into the bias conversation um, and, and sort of where some of these sort of models are getting their information and what they are being used for. Case in point, the Black woman, Black pregnant woman who recently <laughs> was arrested because a facial recognition tech right? That's based on AI, mis misidentified her as, as someone who, who was committing a crime. And I think that you, we have this issue of bias in the data, in, in these data sets that were not designed to be used for advertising, nor were they designed to be used for criminal justice. And so it's, it's not the machine that's the problem. It's what was the machine designed to do? And then what situation, what, what was the machine designed to do? What data was fed to the machine to have it do its job? And then what are we, how are we applying it? And so this is the other dimension of the black woman that, I mean, I've been thinking about AI and sort of bias in AI for, for quite some time. I mean, it's, you know, whether it's in terms of I think there's a scenario that I'd always heard of. I don't know that it actually exists, but where people are kind of graded in a health insurance capacity for their propensity for XYZ disease or whether they need this. And then sort of this model determines whether they should get the care or not. Like that's, that is extremely <laughs> extremely off I, I, that's fucked up right like it's, that that should not that should not be sort of where and how it happens and so i guess the question one of the questions that i have is though if if so many of the models that are being that are being used to train a lot of these devices and tools um the western models in particular are biased there is a lot of tech um growth happening in africa are the models biased there? And if so, how? That That's very interesting. I mean, a few years back, uh, I wrote an article about um, some companies that were using AI to kind of uh, fend off discrimination and hiring, right? Uh, fend off bias and, uh, and discrimination and hiring. And they were using AI tools, right, to kind of mitigate some of this. And it's interesting. I spoke with um, Sophia Noble, 
and she wrote a book, you heard of it, Algorithms of Oppression, right? And one thing that she said to me is like, you know, many studies have shown that AI can discriminate. And I'll just quote right here. I don't think many software engineers are sufficiently prepared to build AI that mitigates discrimination. Mm -hmm. If an engineer is building an ideal profile, say of a job candidate or of a targeted user, right? Um, using historical or demographic information about the type of person, right? We can see how this data would only exacerbate or extend discrimination, right? And I thought that was very, very interesting when she said that to me. Um, like, so you brought up in Africa. Right, um, yeah, maybe, maybe Let's be clear, yeah. Africa's not a country. Fuck you right, know. right. But so on the continent of Africa, yeah. So I would say like places like Ghana and Nigeria, Nigeria. And South Africa, probably like a lot of tech stuff happening, especially right. South Africa, right? Um, I guess it would depend who are the, the developers and engineers, right? In South Africa, although we know apartheid was <laughs> outlawed, um, you know, discrimination still exists widely right. in, in right. South Africa. You know, it's kind of like us, although Jim Crow laws were... <laughs> right right it's still right so um like who has the jobs that's what it comes to like who's who creating, are the engineers the who's creating them from, right right where do those data sets come from that's always the question which then begs the other question of you know is there room or an opportunity for a black-led tech company to make money by creating more diverse data sets, mm. right? You know what I mean? To say, look, to feed this into your LLM, this data set, we, we understand that this data set actually over indexes for people of color. Is there space for a Latino sort of tech company to, to sort of create these data sets to help augment some of the existing ones? I mean, because I mean, we have, we have to talk about the realities of this. But I, what I haven't heard is how can we use the tech to solve some of the tech problems? You know, like, is there a, is there a way to, is there a way to do that? And I know there are a couple of, um, I know there are a couple of sort of black funds that are working on sort of backing, you know, AI based startups. And so that might be something interesting for us to, to kind of follow, follow, yeah, to, to um, dig into that. I mean, right? Um, Streamlytics, I think I told you about this yeah. company before, right? They're, they weren't AI-based, but they are probably one of the largest aggregators of uh, African-American people doing things <laughs> in terms of consuming entertainment, right? And those, like, right, if AI models had some of those data, right. and it was always recent because people self- um, selected to upload their data that they were downloading from Google or Amazon. Or, no, or is it is that was that one of the models where you actually get compensated for your data? Like, is yes, it, ah, okay, that cool. that was one of those like you know where there's also Big Token and there's another one. But the thing with Streamlytics was Streamlytics was it's it was almost exclusively. I I wouldn't say other other demographic groups didn't upload their data, but we know that it was large within the African-American yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Are they still functional or are they, or did they pivot or like, you know? There's a pivot happening right now as we speak, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also interesting because then that gets into some of the, 
if I put my SIM hat on, right, there's the thing of if people are uploading in exchange for something, does that create its own sort of subset of the audience, right? Is there bias inherent in there? And there may be, but I think if we're saying we can acknowledge that there's bias in one way, can we augment that bias or can we um, calibrate can we calibrate that bias by weighting it sort of in another direction? Um, one more dimension, mm -hmm. and that is creator hat. So how do you feel? Like take off, about the Hollywood strikes? What, take what, off your I mean, ad tech hat, right? Take off your ad tech hat. Take off your black woman. Well, you can't take off your black woman hat, but take off your black woman never. hat can never take that never. Right? right but like <laughs> go to your heart of a creator mm -hmm. how does ai make you feel as like a lyricist as a writer like what's your what's your gut reaction let's go to well, the soul I, of tech and soul yeah the soul of tech and soul i mean i'm looking at hollywood right mm -hmm. and i'm looking at you know writers wanting better pay and you know then all these ai jobs popping up on these streaming services right and it's like, well, there's that, then there's the copyright issue with AI, right? Like AI is being fed all of our knowledge, right? All of our creative, all of our IP, and then regurgitating it to someone else to use. And that person's not knowing the source of where it came from. Um, from that perspective, there are a lot of things that need to be ironed out and need to be worked out. I mean, I know the US and UK are talking about standardizing AI. And is, is, is that what we need? Do we need Dude, government we to intercede? standardize voting. We can't standardize, <laughs> like we can't even standardize privacy. We're going to standardize AI? Like that just, <laughs> but, but I mean, what, what will be the answer there for creatives? Because it's like, okay, I'm striking. So you're going to hire some AI to do the job. But what's funny, I saw an article just today. I wasn't even looking for it. It just popped into my lap. You you know how the algorithms be algorithming and, and send you articles that you're probably interested in, right? So something, popped, <laughs> right? so something popped in my lap that was like, creatives are, are, are not losing their job. Freelancers are not losing their jobs. Actually, there's more jobs for freelancers and they're using AI to get more of these jobs, right? And it was talking about script writing. It was talking about um some other a couple of other writing right maybe it's copywriting or something uh, not copy copy what is it called in advertising what do you do you copywriting copywriting yeah, yeah. sorry copywriting. <laughs> copywriting um you know it was talking about those kinds of of writing and how these people are using ai tools and freelancers are charging like 250 an hour maybe i should go back to freelancing right the entrepreneur hat let's put the entrepreneur hat on um you know so like I'm hearing two different things. I'm hearing two different sides. And it's like, where's the truth in this? I think there's no objective truth. I think it is a both. It's a both. And as a creator, as a creative, right? I remember what was this last year when Lenza was the app, right? I feel like mm -hmm. this year's this is the year of Chat GPT. Lenza was last year where everybody was making the little avatars of themselves. And I was like, oh my God. Gamer me, I'm totally, I was like, I want, I totally a thousand percent want a Valkyrie version of myself. Yes. 
I paused though, before I uploaded my picture, because I was like, okay, what happens with this picture of me, right? Like, what can it be remixed into and where and how, right? And so the, that, you know, I, I did feel kind of a stick there. I will tell you this though, algorithms be algorithming. My friend, actually a good friend of mine, his name is um, Doug, Dougie Campbell. He's producing a training course called AI for nonfiction writers. And I signed up for the, like, just, it was like a free workshop. And I was like, yeah, I'm seeing, I, why not? Cause I want to write a book eventually and blah, blah, blah. And in one hour, he showed us, he literally showed us in one hour how to, how to take a concept in your head for a book in one hour, to take a concept in your head for a book, run that shit through chat GPT and then come up with like 12 solid chapters. Like, and I, and I was literally like, oh my fucking God, like what? And like, I signed up for the course because I was like, oh honey, this is like you, yes. Give it to me, so, so, my name. And so, 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 right, go ahead, keep going. I don't want to interrupt, so go ahead. I signed up for this and I was like, I need to understand how to do this. It, let's be clear. You don't just put, you don't say, hey, chat GPT, write me a book and then it writes you a book. It's not like that. It's all within the prompts and right. also the information that you give it and also the information right. and how you, and the system that you pull it through. It was incredible. So just a couple of things that I learned in this workshop already that kind of blew my mind was, and it's, and it's that both and thing that you're talking about. I, I put in my own writing. So I had to upgrade to the chat GPT version, whatever, four, four. Mm -hmm. I put in three versions of my three things that I'd written. And I said, chat, can you tell me what the tone of this is? Mm. Chat took my work and define the tone for me. Something I've never been able to do for myself. Like I know how I write, but if I had to tell somebody what my tone was, I could not do it. Fucking ran it through, came up with my, what my tone was. I was like, oh shit, this is how I write, yes. Then we took that tone and said, okay, I'm gonna, this is the story I wanna tell in this tone. How might I do this? And then it broke down, it was like, if you wanted to do this way, it could go in this chapter. If you want to do it this way, it could go in this chapter. And I'll include a link or something to his course because it's worth it. But so I was like, oh my God, yeah, thank you. Tell me more about me. Did a different <laughs> thing. I put in, I put in the tones of some of my favorite authors. I put in Bell, I put in Bone Black by Bell Hooks, which is one of my favorite books ever. It's one of the books that actually made me know that I was a writer. I put in Bell Hooks, it gave me how Bell Hooks writes. I put in Neil Gaiman, it gave me how Neil Gaiman writes. I put in um, Jelani Cobb, it gave me how Jelani Cobb writes. And then Jelani, I said, can you cool. remix all of those together and give me a specific tone? And chat was like, it'd be like, if you wanted to write, if you wanted to write in a style of Bell Hooks meets Neil Gaiman meets Jelani Cobb, here is how you would do that. And I was like, done, son, I'm done. I'm it was see, that's interesting. See, I never went in that direction yet. The, the direction I've gone in is I fed it something, right? And I say, write, rewrite this or or give me, or I, I give it some bullet points and I'm like, write this for me, right? And then I don't like the tone and I might say, 
make it more cheeky and yep. conversational, right? Yep. I've, I've gone in that direction because I know that my writing is more cheeky and conversational, right? Yep. I know that about my writing. And so I've said for it to do that. And I'm like, oh, it gets, it's gotten closer to me. So it's like the prompts matter so much. And like you asked me about Pub Forum earlier, that's what um, one of our presenters did he talked to folks and at and ops about how they can use chat GPT mm -hmm. and ops. Like, mm -hmm. so to write emails, to write, he came up with his whole session abstract using, yeah. he put the bullet points in, he used chat GPT to write the session abstract. And, you know, uh, I, me and my team have probably used it to come up to feed it, um, our prep call transcript and ask it to come up with questions for us. Oh my right. God. <laughs> It. How much time does that take you in the span of pro programming and producing an event? Nobody's saying you're not using your brain, you're not spending the time, but there's some stuff that's so time consuming that's not necessary. But I think, so I, my mind is blown by this, right? I'm like, this is fucking amazing. But then I think about it and I'm like, how would Bell Hooks feel? I mean, I read Bone Black, to be clear. I read but Bone Black first. I read but that's the, years ago. the it's thing on of, my um, it's on my mm -hmm. bookshelf. I've read mm -hmm. I could have gone back and read Bone Black and been like, it sounds like this, and it sounds like this, and it sounds like this. Would Bell Hooks have been more comfortable with me studying her writing by hand? Or would she be uncomfortable with the fact that so I didn't put Bone Black in chat to be clear? I asked it about the style. So it's clearly scraped Bone Black before. Right. And so this is that gray area of this is that gray area of I want to write this book. I want to write a book about astrology. Obviously, I've studied astrology for years. I'm not an astrologer. I don't want to take anybody else's anybody else's content. But I do want to pull from and cite other pieces of work. And so where is that line? I think that that's kind of what we're going to all wrestle with moving forward is what's the line between attribution and plagiarism? What's the line between fair use and stealing somebody's work? What's the line between, you know, and, and, and we haven't even talked about kind of the visuals, right? Right. The line between kind of paying an homage to a writer like an uh, to a to an artist like HR Geiger for example everybody you know he does like the alien HR Geiger does like the alien vibe things um what's the difference between being like or or what is the difference between a young illustrator who grows up idolizing HR Geiger and sort of working on the strokes daily to kind of come up to to emulate that writer's that that artist's style um, or feeding some feeding HR Geiger's work into mid journey and then sort of working on it afterward themselves and tweaking it like that. I think that's, that's kind of, that's what we're going to be so, thinking about and exploring. Right. And for the soul part of our podcast, I think <laughs> to me, that's like the ghost in the machine, mm. right? When we talk about the ghost in the machine, it's like, the dualism, the mind and body as separate, right? So as soon as you talked about the bell hook style, like feeding it in and having it, well, bell hooks is no longer with us. No, right? she's not. So how can her writing style be carried on? And to your point, what would she think about that? But 
sure, someone's going to attempt that. Someone's going to attempt to, you know, Greg Tate was someone I studied when I was studying journalism. He also passed away recently. Wow, how easy it would be for me to now mimic Greg Tate's style and be that that second coming of Greg Tate. And um, there's a lot of spiritual questions in this, ethical as well as spiritual questions, I think. Um, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating times. But there's some things that are very scary about it as well. Um, and... Uh, yeah, like all the things that we worried about when, uh, you know, about cyberpunk, right? Kind of, kind like, of. You know about Neil, and you don't I, know about um cyberpunk. Isn't that wasn't that I I I it's I will say I've never seen Blade Runner. I know, oh, God, yes, I my my fucking geek card is revoked. I've never seen fucking Blade Runner. I was just like, eh, it's whatever. I didn't see the old one or the new one, but that's what I think of when I think of cyberpunk, right? Yeah. I mean, it's partially that, but it's like, it's about souls, like phantom, you know, people might think of cyberpunk the game, but it's, um, to me, it's like, it's, it's about these ethical and spiritual questions at the same time, as we talk about the future, because the future's here, right? I mean, but I, I bet when you were little, when you thought about what 2023 would be, what what did you think? Like, because oh let's really talk about AI. What oh did you God. think 2023 would be? What did I think 2023 would be? You know what? I think that's a good place to stop. And I think we should we should do that for our next episode, guys. If you want to hear what I thought life was going to be like in 2023 and what Lynn thought life was going to be like in 2023, you're going to have to tune into our to episode two of Tech what? and Soul Navigating. Digital Dimensions. Um, I'm Tamika Key and I'm Lynn D. Johnson. And we will see you again soon. Bye.